Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit destinydayton.com. You guys would go ahead and stand with me and turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 34. 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to read about a special king to name named Joaz. Um, the title of my sermon today is 180 Degree Turn. And the reason for that is, is my goal for us today is in any area of our life that we're not walking 100% for God, that we would turn around 180 degrees and start walking the other way towards God. This message is about a message of repentance Um, And we're going to talk more about what that looks like. But my desire for us is that we would understand what true biblical repentance is like. We live in a culture today that doesn't value truth. We live in a culture today that wants to have God on their own terms. People will come to God and be like, yeah, I can keep living the same way that I was living. I can keep doing this. I can keep doing that and not actually interact with what the gospel tells us to do. The gospel tells us to repent. Jesus in the gospel says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But somehow in today's culture, that word repent gets lost. In fact, even at the sound of that word, a lot of people kind of get walls up or it kind of sounds abrasive because when you say it, repent, you almost is like, whoa, I almost got slapped in the face. This culture doesn't like the word repent because it means they have to do things differently. So my goal for us today is to say, God, if there's something that's not right within me, I want to be different and I want to turn around 180 degrees. So let's go ahead and look um, at this uh, at Second Chronicles 34. It says, and it's kind of long today, so um, bear with me. In fact, you know what? Go ahead and sit down. Because it's, it's a little bit, it's long. And the reason I want, I want to read that is because it gives a lot of context. And you're going to see how he made some changes. So starting there in verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In his twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah pools and idols. Under his direction, the altars of Baal were turned down. He cut them to pieces, the incense altars that were above them, and smashed the Asherah pools and the idols. I'm reading out of the NIV version, if you're wondering. These he broke to pieces and shattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on the altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the town of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and Naphtali, and in the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. It keeps going here. That's why I'm reading this. In the eighth year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of, now you're going to have to help me out here. I've been practicing things. Azaliah, 
uh, in uh, Masiah, the ruler of the city, and Joah, son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. He went to Hilkiah the priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel, and from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then they entrusted it to the men appointed to supervise the work of the Lord's temple. These men paid the workers who repaired and restored the temple. They also gave money to the carpenters and builders to purchase dress stone and timbers for joists and beams for the builders that the kings of Judah had allowed to fall into ruins. Take note of that. The workers labored faithfully over them to direct them were um, Jahath and Obadiah, Levites descended from Mirai and Zechariah and Meshulam. Descended, uh, descended from Kohath. The Levites, all who were skilled in playing musical instruments, had, had charge of laborers and supervised all the workers from job to job. Some of the Levites were secretaries, scribes, and gatekeepers. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Think of that. They found this book of the law just somehow had been happened to be lost for who knows how long. He found the book of the law. Then Shaphan took the book to the king, verse 16, then Shaphan took the book, uh, took the book to the king and reported to him, your officials are doing everything that has been committed to them. They have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the supervisors and the workers. Which as a quick side note, you notice that they found the book of the law where the money had been stored. Shows how the people, the people that before them had maybe considered it valuable and had it stored where the money was at. Then, the, then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me, a bo- given me this book. Then Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, um, Ahiakim, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah the king's attendant. Go and acquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah from what is written in this book, that what has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have, done, who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokhath, the son of uh, Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all, their, all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, says concerning the words you heard. Because you your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God and 
when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah, Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read their, in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed his covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statues, and decrees with all his heart, with all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he, then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jude, Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Let us pray. God, we thank you for the examples you give in your word, and we thank you for the example of Josiah. God, we pray that we would live a repentant life, that we would live with a repentant heart, that our hearts would be sensitive as his heart was sensitive, that when we hear your word spoken, when we hear preaching, when we hear people come to us and interact with us, Lord, and call us out, Lord, that we would be sensitive and humble the way that Josiah is. God, that we would make 180-degree turns in our life and walk differently because, Lord, you, do, <laughs> you have the words of eternal life. To whom else shall we go? There's no one else. You're it. No other sacrifice is sufficient but you. So we lift our hearts up to you. We open our hearts to you. Say, come in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Today, from today's passage, I have four points I want to share with you. Four, what I'd say, four qualities of repentance that we see in this scripture today. And the first point is repentance involves a complete 180-degree turn. Starting in verse 3, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in his twelfth year, which was four years later when he was age 20, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles and the idols. All that we read, the reason I read all that, so that you could see all that he did. He did a ton of stuff to, to reform his area right there, not just his area, he reformed all of Israel. Some of you may know that Israel was divided at one point. It was, uh, you had like the southern kingdom, Judah, and you had the northern kingdom of Israel. Well, at that time, Israel had been uh, exiled, and they didn't really, the northern part didn't necessarily have a king anymore, so Judah kind of had some influence over there, so he made changes over all of Israel at that point, and when I say repentance involves a 180-degree turn, they had many years of doing things different, of turning away from God. In fact, if you back up to the chapter before, you read about a king by the name of King Manasseh. He was a really wicked king. It does say he did turn a little bit. God got his attention, but he didn't fully turn. It said he made some changes, but the fact that 
King Josiah had to make all of these changes. It shows that King Manasseh didn't make a ton of changes. He must have made just a few. He came to God, was sorry, was, was repentant to some degree, but he didn't make all the changes that need to be made. So you have, all, you have things that need to be broken down, altars that need to be torn down, Asherah pools that still need to be torn down. These are worships to other gods. God says, worship me. I'm the one true God. But yet you had his people worshiping in ridiculous stuff. There was a, a god of Moloch, if I'm saying that correctly, and its people would sacrifice their firstborn son in the fire to this. How many would throw your son to, into a fire? No one. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. Repentance First and foremost is birthed out of a posture of seeking God. It said he started seeking God when he was eight years old. Or in the in the uh, in the first year in the first in the beginning, in the eighth year of his reign, he was sixteen then. This is an internal posture that is an openness to receive from God and not being closed to him. Basically saying, God, I need you and I want you. This involves a purposeful turning of your, of your life and attention towards God and towards everything that he stands for, seeking daily more of him, his presence, his voice. Secondly, as these are kind of like sub-points. Uh, repentance is first and foremost birthed out of a posture of seeking God. Secondly, repentance involves fully changing your mind about how things you've normally done. You can't go about doing things that you used to be doing. As I said a little bit ago, Christ, people all around want to be Christians but not change anything in their life. Repentance involves first changing your mind, saying, you know what, I was wrong, I shouldn't be doing this anymore, I want to do, I want to do business differently. We see that Josiah, four years after seeking God, went above and beyond just doing quiet times. He went beyond just praying. He went beyond just reading. Well, he didn't have a Bible then. He went beyond just spending time with God. He made some changes in his life that affected every area of his life, his job, his family. And he went and made some massive changes. Um, in fact, I encourage you to also read 2 Kings 22 through 23 if you're taking notes also, that's kind of a parallel to this uh, story, 2 Kings 22 through 23, which goes into even greater detail. You think I read a lot. Read, <laughs> read that, and you'll see how much more he even did. He didn't just say a prayer and shed a few tears and, you know, ask for forgiveness. No, he put his faith into action. He put his faith into action. He got rid of everything, and I mean everything that didn't honor God. He didn't try to just have a little bit of God here and a little bit of the world here. No, he went and destroyed everything that was contrary to God. The word repent in the Greek is metaneo. It is a compound word that actually joins two words. Meta, which means changed after being with, and the word noia, which means think different after. Literally, it means a change of mind or think differently afterwards. So repentance is deliberate. It's purposed. And it's settled. It, it, is, it illustrates a solid and an intentional changing of our mind from one way of thinking to another. So the command to repent of our sins is not just a call to ask for forgiveness. 
because we kind of just think that in our culture. Repentance is just like, all right, fine. Lord, I ask for forgiveness. Forgive me. It's way more than that. It's, It's under action. But it's a call to change our mind and to have a change of action. Some theologians even say, though I will admit there is some debate in this, Um, Some theologians say that the word repent also was used in the Greek by military personnel to do an about face. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and you've been to that, um, I forget the name of it, changing of the guard, where the Marines, they walk back and forth in perfection. I mean, they click their heels at the right unison. I mean, it looks awesome. They they claim that the, the repent, the word and the Greek for repent is what the military commanders would tell the army, shouted out saying, you know, repent, turn around, go the other way. That's a perfect example of what repentance is, is, hey, we're going this way, going towards a direction that's going to lead us to hell, but we need to turn around and go towards Christ and not look back. Lot's wife looked back, if you remember that story, and she turned to, st- or turned to salt. Josiah went 180 degrees the other way from a life that served other gods and idols and served the maker and decided to serve the maker of heaven and earth with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. He didn't, the Bible says even in, right there in the first few verses, he didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. He walked a path that was straight and narrow that leads to life. I invite you and myself today to repent and turn around and turn away from everything in our lives that displeases God and go with the same intensity and the same tenacity that Josiah went with, even if it cost us something. And I don't just, I don't mean like paying money like the old school, 100 billion years ago Catholics used to, you know, pay money for repentance notes or for forgiveness notes. I'm not talking about that. No, Josiah spent money, literally, to do things he you think about him making all these changes he had to make some changes he had to trap send people to travel throughout the entire kingdom to do this in fact you also see the changes he made to the the temple there things that have been forgotten about that cost money repenting may cost you something it may cost you your reputation because you have to stop hanging out with people you used to hang with you may have to um, allow yourself to feel, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, humbled a little bit because you may have to go to people and ask for forgiveness that you wronged. You look at Zacchaeus. He went back to people that he wronged. He even paid them money saying, I'm, what did he tell Jesus? He'll pay him so much above the amount that he took from him. Small example of this is when I was young, maybe about 10 years old, before I come to Christ, um, I was, we went to our grandparents a lot, and my grandma kept money in the freezer. It's where she hid it. Talk about cold, hard cash. <laughs> she kept money in the freezer, and I was playing down in the basement. She had one of those stand-up freezers, and I was, you know, just playing around, snooping around, and I saw all this money, and my heart dropped. I was like, wow. It's like I found a treasure, you know. And I'll be honest, I mean, I took some of that money. I took, this is long before Christ, I took some of that money, and I needed, I told, I told myself that I needed that money because I was trying to buy a, a mini bike from one of my friends. 
So I took that money. I thought it was probably like, I don't know, uh, $200, $250, somewhere in there. And it bothered, at the time, it didn't bother me a lot because I didn't know Christ. But once I got saved, I got saved when I was 21 years old. Probably a few years after that, I started thinking about that. Thinking, man, that wasn't right. My grandma, um, I don't know if she was still alive at that time, right when I thought of it. She might have been. No, she had just passed away. And I had thought about it. I was like, you know what? I need to make things right. I need to, I need to confess this, and I need, to, I need to go back, and I need to pay that money back. Well, I got a little scared, and I didn't right then. But right before we left for China in 2015, I thought of it again. And it was almost like it was my last chance to do something. My aunt, who lived with my grandma, lived with her all her life, was still alive. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go back and c- repent and confess to her and, and pay her back the money. Because it probably was also some of her money that was in the fridge, too, freezer. And so I went and told her. I told her everything. Told her, you know, I'd, I've become a Christian. I've been living my life different, and um, I want to make things right in all areas of my life, and this is one area I wanted to make right. And I, I took this money from you guys, and I'm sorry, and I paid a well above the amount that I took. I know Sarah remembers it because she's like, man, <laughs> we got to pay that money now. Um, <laughs> but um, it was good. It was good. And I, I'll tell you what, why we're in China, she died, which was what hard for me because I wasn't able to go to her funeral because we were in China. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit brought it back to my memory because it's like, this is your last chance to make it right with these people. Um, repentance involves a 180-degree turn the other way and doing business differently, making changes that are lasting and, going and not going back, no matter the cost. Second point is repentance is evident by a responsive and humbled heart. You know that you're living a life of repentance when you have a responsive and humbled heart. Going back to our passage, we find in verse 14 there that while they were doing all these repairs and reforms, they came across a forgotten book of the law. And it would kind of be like us finding a Bible. It'd be kind of almost like if this church will never do this, but I'm just using this as an example. If this church became apostate and we just decided, you know what, we don't need to serve Jesus anymore, we don't need to do any of that, and the Bible gets lost in the back of the office somewhere. We never see it. And then all of a sudden, years later, they find this Bible in the back of the office that hadn't been read forever. I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing. So <clears throat> they find it, and uh, we pick up there in verse 19. It says, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And then again in verse 27, it says, by the lady prophet they went and inquired of, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. When you're walking out repentance and you have a, rep- a repentant heart, it's, it causes you to respond differently. It re- causes you to respond differently to the word of God and it will cause you to respond differently to the preaching that you hear. Um, and it will cause you to respond differently to when men or women of God pull you aside and say, I'm concerned for you. It, you, you don't allow yourself to get your feathers ruffled up. Sometimes when you hear something like that, you're like, Ugh, I hate you. <laughs> I don't like what you're saying. <laughs> 
I'm lucky to have a wife that loves Jesus because sometimes I'll have things come out of my mouth and she'll say, that's not Jesus. You need to repent. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that, that she does that. There used to be a gentleman that used to come here and he would call them the mully grubs. Stinking thinking, down in the dumps, negative talk. A repentant heart responds with openness and acceptance and alarm and a quickening to make things right. We see that in Josiah. Second Chronicles 7, sorry, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, New Testament, set chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you what earnestness what eagerness to clear yourself what indignation what alarm what longing what concern what readiness to see justice done at every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter repentance is evident by a responsive and humbled heart josiah had already been seeking the lord and had already made 180 degree turn in the way in the in the way he did things thus as far as maybe a salvation experience was concerned i would say he was already there well on his way but when the word of god was read to him he was challenged to raise the bar even higher he yielded to that car to that call and in fact was undone he was alarmed to the reality of god's standard so much so that he tore his robe and I'm not talking about, you know, tearing your clothes. You don't need to tear your clothes, though I know some of us tear our clothes when we bend over and our pants rip. But in the Bible, been there, in the Bible, many individuals ripped apart their clothes to express strong emotions, such as shame, anger, or mourning. The tradition of tearing clothes began as an expression of deep grief or mental tribulation. It was also sacrificial because if someone tore their clothes clothes were expensive then so if they tore their clothes it it meant something it's like i don't care what this is going to do for even my financial aspect i'm showing you all that something's not right and i'm i'm concerned with what's happening when you read the word of god and see a passage that calls for a change in the way that you live or or as a fellow Christian or a fellow Christian comes to you and points out, "Hey man, <laughs> I see something that's not right in your life. I think you need to think on this or turn." Do you respond like Josiah did with a responsive and humbled heart, with alarm, with a quickness to to make things right? Or do we respond with anger or frustration or with a lackadaisical heart or even just being angry, upset? Sometimes, even um, as Christians, if we've been a Christian a while, uh, we, it becomes easy to think, you know what, I'm fine, God loves me, I'm doing all right, I've arrived, I've, I don't got much else to work on. And that can be a scary place to be because you think, oh, I, I don't struggle with the big sins anymore, maybe just have some of the small sins in my mind. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Or in the King James says, be care take heed, at least you fall. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, 
looking for someone to devour. The enemy, if we let us, will creep into our mind through the things that we watch, read, um, listen to, and it can pull us away. It can cause us to drift. But if we working to have a repentant and humbled heart daily before the Lord, where we come to him and say, God, test me. Lord, show me. <laughs> show me what I need to change. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I surrender today. I want absolute surrender in my life. I know I just prayed it yesterday, but Lord, I want to have more, more surrender to you. Have your way. When you do that, you are less likely to drift. You're less likely to put your you know, your arms up in a fight when someone comes to you and says, hey, brother, I'm concerned. You're not going to get your, I don't know, is it bad to say panties in a tight wad? Is that, should I not say it up here? Should I not say that? <laughs> it, you're not going to get frustrated because someone's getting up in your business. That's the biggest thing. People want to say, you know, what's he think getting up in my business? Who does he think he is? Oh, holier than thou. I'm going down the church down the road. We always must keep a posture of having a repentant heart, a responsive and humbled heart, for this is a continued sign that we've experienced repentance unto salvation. To give an example of this, I used to be with a college ministry in college. I actually came to know the Lord through that ministry, and uh, it was a great ministry that taught me a lot about the Lord and uh, how to live a life in Christ and how to, to live a repentant life and um, how to be open to correction as well. And um, I remember when Sarah and I were courting each other, um, we, that's a whole other story. We had some ups, we had some downs, and um, there was a period of time where it was like, are you guys going to like actually commit to being a couple or are you guys just going to flirt around? Seriously. And because um, we didn't really, you know, define the relationship. We kind of just was um, just flirting around, just hanging out, spending a lot of time together. And in that community, it's like, you know, you don't really spend a lot of time with a girl that you're either don't have a ring on her finger or committed to. And so... Um, our leaders called us out on it. You know, they call, he called me up on the phone, and he said, hey, I think we need to talk, um, and uh, I'll be over at my house tonight. You mind stopping over? And I was like, ah, oh, stink. <laughs> Something's up, and I'm racking my brain and uh, thinking, yeah, I, I know what he's going to talk about. I know what he's going to talk about. And on the drive there, I was starting to get angry, and... Um, but I specifically, you know, you, some of you may have had times where you've heard the Holy Spirit louder than others. And this was a time I heard the Holy Spirit say, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> keep, I'm serious. It wasn't my, it wasn't me. I, from as much as I could tell, it was the Holy Spirit saying, keep your mouth shut. A.K.A. you listen to what the man has to say and receive it. So I got there and of course, you know, it wasn't all like, you suck. No, it was, it was them just being open and honest and saying, hey, we're concerned and there needs to be some changes. Luckily, I had spent enough time with that pastor and respected them enough that as Josiah made a quick change, I made a quick change. I called her up and I said, look, 
we need to, we need to cut this off. <laughs> and if, we, if we're not going to move forward in this relationship, we need to quit patty caking around. And we need to, um, we need to, we need to just stop. We need to, we can be friends, but we can't keep doing this. And so we, I cut it off completely, which is she will tell you kind of like, <gasps> he's serious now. And so for the next couple months, for the next couple months, I didn't pay attention to her at all. I didn't call her, didn't speak to her, which drove her nuts. But um, I respected the advice that the pastors had given me. They said, hey, you can't just keep doing, going on like this of not having any intentions and not trying to say, hey, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry this girl, but just you guys spending all this long period of time together, um, long nights, but yet there's no, no commitment there. You need to stop that. And so I, I repented and stopped. Um, now, a few months later down the road, things changed and I had talked to them and said you know what I think I want to try this again and we made a, a committed relationship and decided that we wanted to pursue each other under marriage so um, in the moment though you know if that person wouldn't have come to me and approached me and, and got my eyes open a little bit and said hey you guys were concerned who knows what would have happened I don't know I mean I think we were living in as holy as we thought but as I said, the devil's looking for opportunities to make his way in. You know, spending late nights up, you know, I've always heard nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> Young people, nothing good happens after midnight. Get home. Us staying out late, you know. I don't think we ever stayed out past midnight, but we were spending time together that we shouldn't. Um, point number three. Repentance will lead you back to doing right things again. Repentance will lead you back to doing right things again. As we've already read, Josiah, as part of his and the kingdom's repentance, their turning around, started uh, taking care and repairing the temple that had been left in shambles and, and disrepair. He started doing things again that his community and culture had stopped doing a long time ago. I'm going to say that again. He started doing things again that his community and culture had stopped a long time ago doing. There may come a time, and I'm sure that time has already come, when your community and your culture stop doing things that they used to and they should still be doing and will want you to also stop <laughs> doing them. We live in a culture that doesn't want you to go to church. We live in a culture that doesn't want you to have a stance on certain things like abortion, homosexual relationships, and marriage. They don't want you to speak out about those things. They don't want you to have a stance on that. They want you to conform to the state religion that's out there, to the state pattern that's out there. 50 plus, 60, 70 years ago, like in the 1950s, culture was a little bit different. For me to, at, at my work, start talking about God and Jesus, People wouldn't have made a fuss about that. They wouldn't have, have stopped you in your tracks and tried to say, hey, you shouldn't be talking about that as far as non-believers. But now when I talk about that, you know, people have a quick response back of like, well, I don't believe that. And, you know, here's why I don't believe that. And, you know, they always have a, some type of comeback. Wasn't like that a while ago. We didn't read... Uh, 
We didn't read this, but I also encourage you to read chapter 35. We find that Israel, prior to Josiah, had stopped observing a major ordinance and holiday that God had told them to never stop observing, and that was the Passover. <clears throat> it's not surprising that they had stopped uh, uh, celebrating with all that they were worshiping and that they lost the book of the law. So it says, but when the entire book of the law was read to the king, which as a side note, if, you, if anyone here hasn't read through the Bible, if you're here and said, I haven't read through the entire Bible yet, I encourage you over this next year, make that a goal. Make that a goal. And the reason is, is because if you don't get the full picture of God, the full counsel of God, you're only going to have such a limited viewpoint of who God is. Already in this culture, we want to, so many churches just want to preach a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. And God is all of those things, but God is also a lot more than that. He is a God that carries the sword. <laughs> He's a God that judges. He's a God that is also the lion, not just the lamb. He's a jealous God. He's holy. He's fierce. If you only read certain parts here and there, the parts that you feel like reading, you're going to have a warped view of who God is and can lead you to false beliefs. When the entire book of the law was read to him and he saw that all that God had expected of him and Israel, he saw that they needed to start celebrating the Passover and quickly um, and in quick obedience he when it was the right time of the year they celebrated the um, the Passover they didn't just celebrate it either they went all out they went in abundance you'll see in fact in verse 18 of chapter 35 it says this it says the Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel and none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priest, the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. Never had anyone celebrated the Passover like that. They went all out <laughs> in abundance. They may be, there may be some of you here today that need to repent and go back to doing right things. There may be things that you used to stop doing that you have stopped doing, that you used to do for whatever reason. Maybe you used to read your Bible a lot, but you stopped doing it. Maybe you used to have a prayer life, but, it, you know, things got too busy. I say the word repent. doesn't mean to be abrasive. Remember, a, repent is changing your mind. Turn your mind and say, you know what? I shouldn't have stopped reading my Bible. I shouldn't have stopped having a prayer life. I'm going to go back and do that. Devote yourself to doing that. You may used to tithe, but you're like, you know what? Money got tight, and I can't tithe anymore. Repent. Go back and do what you were supposed to do before. Blessings will come with that. True repentance will lead you back to doing right things again or doing right things again. Point number four is repentance will bring revival. It's interesting to read the account of this story from both 2 Chronicles 34 and 35 and 2 Kings 22 through 23, which I encourage you to read both, compare them. And the difference between the two is, is just the emphasis. They both have the same story, but they both have a different emphasis. This is really cool. 2 Chronicles is in chronological order. I don't know if that is by, you know, if Chronicles means that, Chronicles means chronological order, 
but it's in, the story is in chronological order. Second Kings is in a geographical order. So the way that it's, it's played out is you have, um, it starts in the temple. The story starts in the temple and starts with the reforms and finding the book of the law. And then it moves out to him carrying out all the reforms and, he, and showing all the ash, you know, everything being destroyed. And then it shows going from the city of Jerusalem out to the larger area, Israel, from the temple to the city to the larger area. If we want to have revival in this place, revival, if we want to have revival in this city, in this state, revival has to start here in us. First, it starts in you. Revival first started in Josiah. He had a change of heart. He had a change of way of doing things. And then it started in the temple. He made all those changes that had to be made in the, the temple that were supposed to have been kept up that but weren't by the previous kings. He made those changes in the temple. And then it moved out into the, the area there. My goal for us today is that we would turn in the areas that we need to turn. That we would start to have a humble and responsive heart that we would grow in having a humble and responsive heart. I know we come here to minister to God and we minister to each other, but a major goal of this church is that we see this city have revival. We want to see people come to know Jesus. However that happens in large number, and it's going to happen when we here get excited about God when we get our hearts ablaze for God, when we get excited about him enough that it moves us unto action in every area. Not just coming to church and putting on you know, a show for our friends here, but every area, it changes us. People at work say, man, you look different, man. What's up with you? You changed. You, you seem more happy than normal. And you can tell, man, I've got wrecked with God. Let me tell you about that. I'm tired of going to work and just, you know, punching the time clock and getting out. I want to come to work and be on fire to where people say, Jay, you're different, man. You're different and want to know why. I've tried to tell people about Jesus, but I think I've tried to tell people with, about Jesus there without passion, without excitement, without fire. And I want that in my life, and I want you guys to have that in my life. I want you guys to have that in your life. Here for the altar time, I want to open up a time. You can turn on some music there for us, brother, for the background if you can. Um, repentance demands that we change the way we think. We can't be Christians and do the same thing that we used to. If you've been living with someone, it's time to move out. You can't be a Christian and still be living with someone. If you're having sex before marriage and you're trying to be a Christian, you need to stop because you can't be doing that and say that you're a Christian. Those don't correlate. Being a Christian is living holy. The Bible says the marriage bed is to be pure. We got to do things right before the Lord, the way that he prescribes them for us to do. If you've been, um, if you've been stealing money, <laughs> like I said, you need to repent. 
and you need to give that money back. You need to stop doing things. And you know, sometimes even at work, it's easy for us to think that we're not stealing. But it's like, oh, you know, there's these, you know, drinks and stuff and chips and all kinds of other stuff. If that's not something that you're allowed to take or, you know, there, maybe there's some things that are in the, um, here on the shelf that go unnoticed, that there's extra, and someone's like, man, just take some of that. You, no one's going to notice. I hear that all the time at work. Man, just take that. No one's going to miss it. No one's going to miss that. It's only, it's only ten, it only costs us $10. It only costs the hospital $5. It only costs the hospital a few cents. Just take it home with you. That's not right. That's stealing. That's stealing. And I, I don't say that on harping on you because I've struck, I don't want to say I've struggled with it, but I've had that come at me at work. I have that come at me regularly at work. I'm at a place now, you know, different works, different jobs allow different things, but I was at a nut, one job where they said, you know what, absolutely not. You can't take any drinks, you can't take any chips, you can't take nothing from the, the, the patient galley area. Zilch, zilch, nothing. Nothing. And before I was taking it because I saw other people taking it, thought it was normal, but then it became clear that you're not supposed to do that. So I stopped. It was like, you know what? I'm sorry. I even went to my boss. I said, hey, you know, I didn't know that we weren't supposed to be taking this. I've been taking that stuff. Do you want me to pay for it? She said, no, just stop. Just stop taking it. Just stop taking it. Just stop taking it. When you have a humble and responsive heart, things become more clear to you. Your heart becomes more sensitive. You start thinking of, wow, do I need to go back and apologize to certain people because... What I did wasn't right. But what prevents us from doing that is pride because we're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of having our image smeared because we have to bow, not bow down, but we have to humble ourselves. And we naturally don't like to do that, human nature. There's two groups of people I want to come forward today. One, it's if you know there's something in your life that you need to repent of. Maybe while I was speaking, the Holy Spirit highlighted it to you. And it's like, I've been doing this wrong in my life and I need to change my mind. I need to turn around and go the other way. I want you to come forward now. I want you to kneel at the altar and I want to, you to confess to the Lord and say, I need to repent. In fact, would you stand with me right now? second group of people I want to pray with and I'm assuming it will be a larger because it's also going to be me kneeling at this altar is if you're here and say I want to have more of a responsive and humbled heart I recognize that it's easy for me to walk in pride or um, I just want more of God I want to when the word is preached to me I want to respond the way that he did. I want to respond with alarm. I want to respond with a quickness in my heart to make changes. When, a, when I read the word of God in the morning, I don't want to just read over it and check the box and get that little check mark on the version app that I completed my plan. I want to make a change of what I read. I want to make a change from what I read. Or when a brother or sister confronts me, 
It speaks in love. I don't want to put my shackles up. I, want to, I don't want to get all offended. I want to respond in quickness. I want to respond in alarm. If that's you today, I want you to come forward and say, God, I want more of a humbled and responsive heart towards you. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would change our heart and mind. God, that you would change the way that we approach your word. You would change the way that we approach when we hear preaching. God, that we would come with an open heart, that we wouldn't have to spend hours or a half hour in worship getting jazzed up for what we're about to hear, but we come already here to church with a heart that's ready to receive, a heart that's ready to make a change, a heart that's ready to turn because we've spent that time with you throughout the week getting close to you and seeking you. Oh, Lord God, transform our heart today to be more pliable, to be more moldable. Just as, Lord, your word showed that you're like a potter on a wheel, Lord, that we are that clay, easily to be molded. Transform us by your word today, Lord. Transform us by your rhema word, your spoken word through the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to people now, Lord, in their heart, that they would hear, maybe even for the first time, your voice loud and clear in their heart and mind. God, because we want revival. We want revival, Lord. We want revival in our hearts. We want revival in our families. We want revival in our marriages, in Jesus' name. We want revival in our workplace, in our cities, in our schools, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We want to be able to walk up into all these places with a heart that's on fire. Just as Moses came down from that, <clears throat> on top of that mountain glowing, because he had been with you, God, we want to be glowing. God, reveal to us right now any area that we need to turn, any thought process, any thinking that maybe we've been thinking that's wrong. And we lay it down before you. Because as we said earlier, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It ain't worth holding on to anything. We let go of it quickly. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.